three, two, one. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in snowy Toronto. Good morning. Candy here in rainy Chicago. Uh, you just need that extra <laughs> no, degree no, or two of coldness. You no, don't. I don't. No, I don't. It's very pretty. <laughs> I know it's pretty. I know it's pretty. This is our second. I, I like uh, snow, but snow. yeah. I like snow when I don't have to do anything. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I like snow walking a dog is a very nice activity. Oh, the, the dogs love the snow. First <laughs> of all, coops. snow has some kind of magic thing that uh, amplifies all the smells. So we go on the dog walk in the snow and they stop and they sniff around for everything. It takes forever. I thought I was going to be late. Uh, Like this is a morning (laughs) recording session, which is really early morning. And I thought I was going to be late because I was out with the dogs and they were poking around and sniffing here and sniffing there. And I might suggest that it's the opposite that the snow amplifies. It muffles all the smells. So maybe the odd smells that come through are crazy for them. Well, that, that could be. I don't know. I don't I'm know. not I a, don't know either. I'm not a I smellologist. And I haven't done the science on this. Yes. <laughs> Candy mink, smellologist. But what about that movie or novel, Samela's Sense of Snow? Wasn't that, did you ever read that or see that mm. movie? Oh, it's a crime story. You gotta get that. It's like maybe Swedish or Scandinavian or So the things I do for this <laughs> podcast, Candy Minks. Yeah, what do you, you know do? What's, this time? You know what is on the YouTube right now? Right chess. as we speak. Oh, so are you sack? <laughs> is the world championship chess match between Jan Neponyachi and otherwise mm. known as Nepo for short and okay. Magnus Carlson. This is game four. And oh. just before we came on, I was uh, I was watching it. Uh, it looks like, uh, well, here's the thing. This yeah. game four, the first three games were a draw. But not only were the first three games a draw, there hasn't been a winner in a game of world championship chess at normal time since 2015. Oh, wow. No one has won a game. In fact, the last time uh, the last time Carlson defended his title, it was a draw all the way through, and then the playoff was in rapid chess. So uh, he finally won a game in rapid chess. But in this match, there's no rapid chess, and uh, I, you know, Carlson may end up winning just because he doesn't lose, which wow. is I think it's a big flaw in both the game of chess. You know, at the very highest levels of chess, it's as uh, as Nepo said in in a, an interview after one of the games, chess is a very draw-ish game. But it, I think, it has also to do with the tournament system. Okay. And the Can fact you that describe the fact that, that for me? well, when when you play in tournaments, uh, you get uh, ratings towards a title. So your title could be master, international master, right. grandmaster, super grandmaster. Okay. Okay. Um, everybody wants the title. Why do you want the title? Well, Money. <laughs> yeah, because if you're a grandmaster, for instance, right now uh, on this live broadcast, there are two commentators. They're getting paid for this gig. Sure. The commentators are 
And they're fantastic too. Judith Poldar. <laughs> Judith Poldar. She is, I would watch her. She could be talking about baking. I don't care. I would watch Judith Poldar talk because wow. she's just so engaging. She's really great. And and Anish Geary. And the two of them are bickering like children. You know, they're deciding it's going to be another draw. What move are they going to draw on? And they're having this little bickering match about it. So, you know, if you want to, let's say, uh, be a commentator, well, you really got to get your grandmaster. If you want to run a chess really? school, you really have to become a grandmaster. If you want to do private tutoring, I mean, it's where it's where the money is. Now, if you look on the broadcast now at Magnus Carlsen, he is wearing a shirt and the shirt has all the logos of his sponsors all over it. Sort of like <laughs> the skiers who hold up their skis. So yes, you know yes. It's the same kind of thing. It's There's big money, but there's not big money until you get to the upper echelon. And you can get points in tournaments towards your title with a draw. So <laughs> it's better to draw than it is to lose, right? And okay. so um, it's... Oh, so they, they see it as a positive because you can advance your chess career by not losing as opposed well, to true. by winning. Okay, so, I get it. Right? So if they changed it, let's say they had penalties. So for instance, after in a tournament like this, which is 14 games, let's say after the third draw, both players get blasted with a water cannon. Now, okay. I know that's extreme. That yeah. is extreme. Okay. Yes. But let's just say bad things happen. So after the third draw, it's they don't want the third draw, right? They want to win the game because nobody wants to be blasted with the water can Correct. or whatever penalty you substitute, you Correct. know. And let's say they do that, but the penalty still isn't enough, and it looks like the next game, the fourth one, is going to be a draw. Well, a cage match, you know, okay. like pro wrestling. You put them in a cage, give them a hickory club, yep. and the guy who comes out becomes the world chess champion. Right. You know, I, I mean, I'm exaggerating, obviously. <laughs> no, but, I like it. But what I'm saying is... I, it suddenly got more dynamic for me. Well, they've, <laughs> they've systemically created this problem that, that they have where there isn't enough... Um, there isn't enough reason to take the risks that you need to play for a win. So conflict, we would say, in storytelling. Well, I mean, it's conflict throughout. And the games are... Yeah. I mean, they're very... It's very cerebral, right? You know, yeah. it, the games have been quite interesting, but but no one is willing to take to take the risk that they need to uh, uh, to try to get a win. And, you know, when they play this kind of really tight chess, it's really about who makes a mistake in yeah. calculation. Sure. Somebody makes a little mistake in calculation and that mistake grows over several moves and suddenly um, you find yourself in a winning or losing position. Um, so that's kind of frustrating. Whereas Go by its nature, in almost all the games, there's a winner. Okay. Because you can't- There's no draw, huh? Well, th there's only one situation where there could be a draw, and that's a situation known as a triple co, and it's very, very rare. Okay. And it's a situation where um, I take you in one spot, you take me in another spot, I take you in another spot, and it revolves around those three spots taking each other back, and it becomes an infinite loop. So board, that's yes. the only situation where there's a draw. Otherwise, somebody has to win by at least half a point. Okay. Uh, because there is, in Go, there's a Comey that 
uh, that evens out the play between white and black because white goes first and that's an advantage. So if you, sorry, black goes first and that's an advantage. So if you play white, you get a Comey, you get bonus points. And okay. those points are usually six and a half or in some tournaments, seven and a half points. So at the start of the game, white is always ahead, but always ahead by a factor that ends in half. So right. there can never be a, a tie except for that, that triple co. So that's one of the reasons why go is an infinitely more interesting game to me. Mm -hmm. um, when you're watching the chess match, are you able to tell what's going on? Well, to ish. To, ish. Yes. I mean, I, I can't, I don't play chess with any kind of regularity. I haven't actually played in years, but I know the game. Yeah, and, I know the game, but I'm not sure I would know it was coming towards checkmate. But that's but that's why they have commentators. So yeah. on the YouTube, they have two boards set up. They have the slightly smaller board, which is the actual game. Okay. That's live. And right. then they have pictures of the players. And then they have pictures of the commentators. And yeah. they have another board set up in which the commentators show variations. Oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Sure. So, so they take you, they walk you through it. And they tell you why, oh, this is a great move because it does this, mm -hmm. this, and this. Or this is, appears to be a bad move. Or this game is heading for a draw, whatever. Um, so that makes it really interesting. And if you have a really good uh, commentator like Judith Polgar, it can <laughs> make it super fascinating. I had to Google her. I looked at her picture while you were talking there a few minutes ago just ah. to see who she was. Yeah, fascinating. Hungarian? Uh, you know, I really don't know. I, yeah. I like I say, I'm not. Uh, it's only recently I've been following the high. You're not stalking her or anything. No, the high-ranking <laughs> chess world, and she showed up as a commentator, and it's mm. like, wow, she's just got great insights, and she's so much fun to oh, okay, to listen to. Yeah, she's such a great. Some people are natural-born commentators, and she's just really good at it. That she's is got true. a lot of dynamism and a magnetism about her. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool i've been watching world chess championship too oh yeah it's called real housewives ultimate girl trip aha tell me about this <laughs> and su selling sunset oh sheila was watching the selling sunset you know i just so, pop my head in every now and then <laughs> selling sunset is like for people who really want to you know it's like indulging in it's it's indulging in in chocolate until you get sick you know well, it's it's about it's about excessive privilege, <clears throat> excessive privilege, fashion, um, and capitalism. And I would agree at first glance. Are there any brown people in that show? At first glance, well, some of the buyers were. Oh, um, yeah. Well, there's of a black guy but, that was yeah. a buyer. But they, and, they wouldn't um, actually hire brown people. I don't know. Yes, there. Yeah, there's yeah. two Spanish women. Oh, okay. women of color in, in two or three it just seems like i mean not only does it look really white it looks really blonde well it is very blonde but you know let's go out on a limb here all right all and right. at first glance it does look like those things that you're saying but something else is going on here okay tell um, me educate me well, school me all, candy minks first of all when you know hollywood still does not figure out tv has figured it out tv always had stories that women would watch always Okay. Always. Um, you know, Camille Paulia was a defender of the soap opera. She said, our soap operas, we might sit there and be, you know, think we're fancy art stars or cultural, you know, critics with taste, but those soaps 
those soap stories or daytime drama, if you will, uh, go around the world. They get syndicated around the world and they inspire other cultures for women to be very strong and powerful and, and empowered. Uh-huh. So, well, it's certainly in, the, in selling sunset. I mean, they're, they're powerful. My God, they're making deals mm-hmm. worth millions of dollars. They're very, very powerful. Right. And, so and caddy at the same time. Yeah. Something interesting is going on here is that there are many, many female, it's really about female friendships and female relationships. And, and it's different because you're looking at a minority or an oppressed culture. So that is going to... Sorry, which is the oppressed culture? Um, Rich Hollywood women? Well, that's what I'm saying. You need to go out on a limb as an anthropologist, not as somebody who... You have to look at it as an anthropologist. Um, I think that's how I would suggest men to look at it. For women, we already are in it. We know exactly what's happening. Now, I... Let's say female friendships. Almost... And non-friendships, like nobody likes Christine. Well, that's why I said relationships. I said friendships and relationships. So in my personal life, I would say that almost if if my female friends had anything in common, it's that they're kind of all type A and pretty individually driven and independent. And they're really not looking for a queen bee. And... um, and, and, and I would put that down to being maybe just a little bit more thoughtful and compassionate in their lives. Um, when you don't have that awareness of the queen bee syndrome, you're going to play the queen bee syndrome. I don't know if I ever told you this before. There was a girl in, um, we, I was in Ottawa Army Base. I was going to this public school there. And there was a girl, two parts. She had really, really, really long hair. And I remember the teacher would lift her hair up and go, look at that. And it was like three feet long. He goes, what is that? Three feet long, four feet long? And I knew as a kid that it was so wrong that he did that. It was so inappropriate. I would be just cringing and awkward. And I didn't know why, because it was like grade four or five. And I was like, this isn't right that he's touching her hair. Um, I guess my parents gave me a very well-defined sense of my own body and privacy. Mm -hmm. I I totally would have freaked out if somebody went near me. And then... um, But this girl, you could only be friends with her if you sharpened her pencils. And I remember figuring out really quite quickly that "Eh, I don't need friends that badly. (laughs) I'm okay on my own. I don't, I'm not going to the front of the class to sharpen her pencil just so I get the status in this classroom of being her friend. Okay. That for some women never stops. Um, For some females, it never stops. And men's power plays look different because they just have a different you know, two guys can have an out-and-out fight at work, and in an hour later, they're having a beer together. Women don't do that. <laughs> we don't. We don't have a beer afterwards. <laughs> there are long. There tends to be a long structure of behavior that you expect to happen, like an apology or um, something. Probably an apology. Then you have that other person going well, I'm the queen bee. I don't apologize. And when you have 10 women and four of them think they are the queen bee and they exist in that kind of, that's how they look at social life. You you've got selling sunset. You have real housewives of Beverly Hills. And, and, you know, I mean, Andy Cohen said that it's the sociology of the rich and that's, I agree with you. What you said is the first look, but and what's actually happening is you're finding out about these relationships and how absolutely serious some of these Social cues are to 
to many, many women. I mean, for me, I would probably just not hang out with certain people. But when you have to but work don't, with them. But don't you think that underlying, and I get that. I, yeah. I totally understand that aspect of that show. Right. But don't, but don't you think there's something really distasteful distasteful about the um, the promotion of this kind of class system and ultra capitalism where everybody strives to be um, to 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 be uh, as part of this kind of Hollywood rich elite. Yeah, it's not any more severe for me watching that than it is watching the world championship chess games or watching baseball or basketball. Or any but you're the same event. person who's always criticizing capitalism and saying we need to break that that's down. We I, need to destroy capitalism. No, that's but, not what I said. That's not what I said. I'm going to repeat what I said. I right. said it's no different for me than watching the World Championship chess games or watching baseball or basketball. I didn't put a morality on that for me. I didn't put an emotion on that. I said I don't see any difference between so um, you don't you don't find that you don't you don't find the the kind of class structure that they set up I didn't say that. as distasteful well don't you find that distasteful in um baseball or or chess championships i mean why would it be uh, any different for uh, me certainly yes and certainly in in chess um i think that it's uh i don't i don't like i don't like the way they have it structured and how difficult it is for women for sure it's a real problem right well that's all i'm saying so i i don't think i need to um I don't think I need to answer any more than um, there's no, I'm not going to go to prison because I'm watching um, Selling Sunset. No. I'm not a worse cultural person than anybody else watching their things. And it's not, I think this is the difference is that I think we have some things that we think are somehow more um, tasteful or appropriate and they're left cutthroat. Well, we're just not seeing the cutthroat. What we're seeing on Selling Sunset and The Real Housewives is we're seeing that desperate um, effect of, of regular, these were regular, ordinary, how do I say it? Just doing their lives people. At some point they acquired wealth. And what it does is it just adds steroids or crack into the mix. Um, okay. So, and they haven't, and they haven't done yoga. Or now they do yoga, but it's a status symbol too. <laughs> and the thing is that anything, even something spiritual, can be turned into a status symbol if that's how you look at the world. So I, that's not how I look at the world. Of course I'm against capitalism. Absolutely against it. That doesn't mean that, that there's no meaningful. Everything that human beings do has as much meaning as we give to it. Otherwise, it, it, it's, it's really meaningless. In the big picture, whatever humans do is meaningless. There's my existential stance. However, because we're human and we have emotions and we have relationships, everything that we do or make has as much meaning as we give to it. And the meaning I give to uh, Selling Sunset or Real Housewives is it's fascinating to watch the chess game. It's, it's no different for me than watching um, the end of a football game where the upset happens in the last three seconds, because sure, that's the that. only thing that's good about football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that upset. And what you have, and then you have this insane reward when someone realizes, oh my God, I've been an asshole. And they might actually try to change. Uh, it's a question of can they change, can they not? But when that apology happens, you are sitting there like a, you know, a cheerleader. You're so excited. Oh my God. And you can see when someone says something on on, on one of these TV shows, it's your blood starts to go like, oh, my God, why did she say that? It's like a suspense movie. I, I can't explain it. 
but I can understand why it wouldn't be a suspense movie for someone who wasn't involved or interested in that aspect of human. Well, it is for sure. Life. It's a suspense movie. Sheila told me that, that all of the participants mm-hmm. um, in selling sunset, I don't know about the other one, mm. but all of the participants have to um, sign away something very big. And that is they sign away the right to, uh, to actual reality. In other words, <laughs> in other words, the show has the right to take all the footage yeah. and make a story. Yeah. And that story may, if you are in that candy mix, it may make you look really bad, worse than you actually are for the sake of the story. And apparently they have to agree to that going in. Right. I, I think that's, you're right about that. There's also something I found out about Real Housewives, which I've been watching since the beginning. Um, they are so fascinating. And they're, it, again, one, it's the shitty part about that status battle. That's painful. And then you're you're risking losing a friend and fun you're having fun. You have all the money in the world. You can go on these great trips. You can buy anything you want and dress and look marvelous. And you're freaking being an asshole to the other person when you guys could just have fun. We wouldn't have a TV show, though, if they weren't, if sure. they weren't human, if I they weren't that. action. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, that's what it's really about. Right. And it's it's the same thing as when the Go player, for whatever reason, maybe they got tired. They, they didn't make the right decision and they went down one path. Yeah, it's not insulting. That, that's, kind of, that's kind of uh, comparing um, uh, apples to automobiles, but I, I get where you're going with that. Right, and I would suggest that anthropologically, we might compare apples to oranges. Uh, that's the difference. I understand the class thing with, um, with criticism and with analyzing things, but if you want to be... Um, if a Martian came to town, they would start to look for anom- anomalies amongst the what they saw as patterns and all I'm looking at is patterns. It's not, that's why it it doesn't, there's no moral part for me. It's the pattern part. Mm -hmm. It's the gameplay. That's the interesting part. It's not the setting. So anyway. Okay. So where was I on this thing about, um, can um, I interrupt for just a second? Yeah. We have an update. Uh Oh, I just, an email just came in from my brother, the trout, Salvalitas Fontanellis. Oh, wow. sent me an email. It said, Managed to not wake up in time for the start of game four. Just tuned in now, and it looks like a shootout at the OK Corral. Nepo has passed pawn two squares from queening and two rooks to force it to the queening square. Carlson has passed pawn three squares from queening, but he also has Nepo's king boxed into a corner with maybe enough force to deliver checkmate if he could stop Nepo's pawn from making a new queen. I'll watch for a half hour, then go back to the start to see how they got into this wild position. And I rest my case. Thank you, brother, because he said exactly what, to the rescue. He said exactly what I'm trying to say. He refuses and, to to listen to this podcast, and that's okay. Then he won't he won't hear my um, kudos. Um, yeah. So in in this situation, you've got this. Um, you've got all this money. Which you the other part is you have all this money, and you still got all more money, more problems. <laughs> you know, it's so like, it seems. Um, so and, I mean, yeah. they really are an unhappy group of people. Well, for, I mean, for people who have everything you could ever want in the world, they seem really hateful to one another. Not right, everybody, but, but a lot of them seem really. Right, well, because money can't give you happiness. That's what I, that's the point. You, you can't. That's why it's anti-capitalist and why it's so enjoyable, because ah. it's absolutely proving that money can't make you happy. What makes you happy is work, is deciding to be a compassionate, peaceful person and trying to find peace of mind. When you get peace of mind, you are happy. Happiness isn't the goal. Peace of mind is the goal. 
Happiness is not the goal. I understand in the United States, they put the pursuit of happiness. Well, they kind of made a tragic flaw there. They should have said the pursuit of peace of mind, which you don't pursue, you stop. <laughs> you cease pursuing. So, <clears throat> so in this uh, situation, oh, so I want to get back to what I was trying to say there, which I've forgotten, I think, was you've got over the years, you get this whole storyline of, you know, you might come into the show right now and watch it, and you won't know that two people had been enemies five years ago on the show, right? That's also kind of an interesting thing. So they have in their contract, you mentioned their contract that they have to um, allow everything to be filmed and edited any which way they want. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I have so no idea if that's also, true. Sheila told me that, so I assume it's true because well, I, Sheila knows everything. I'm sure it is true because I did a little reading about, of course it's true. You, you, you've got the cameras rolling. You can't tell them not to publish something. You can't tell, you've signed away when the cameras are rolling, they can feel, they can show anything they want. And they do show the women naked sometimes and they pixelate them. Uh, so all kinds of things, uh, we've seen them in the bathroom. We've seen them passed out into bushes, dead drunk. I mean, they get to use everything and tell the story. So one of the other things in their contract is they can't change their look within a certain time period of being on the show. So there's been a scandal on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills where, um, do you remember Aaron Brockovich? Yes. Well, the actual real life lawyer that was in that is um, married to one of the housewives on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Ah. Turns out for the last couple of years, he's allegedly, so I can't say turns out, allegedly he stole from, uh, you know, there was a plane crash, widows and orphans, and children died and lost all their money. And they, they've been suing the um, airline company and he kept some of the, he kept the funds. So it's allegedly. And so- Of course. At the meantime, you have his wife who's still on the show and she's hilariously terrible because she's crying and crying because she had to leave a mansion and go into a three bedroom mansion. She oh, left man. the 20 room mansion and she's crying like, look what happened to my life. Nothing about the widows, nothing about the orphans, nothing about it. Even if she was innocent, which she might be, she might not have known that he was doing that. That's his business. Um, but even if she was innocent, why wouldn't she say something like, I don't know what happened. Allegedly, this would happen. And I feel terrible for those people involved. She never once said that in the whole show. And then her Instagram page, because probably because you have to keep the same tone that you always did. It's a case of her karma. She created her persona. And now her persona, you can read her um, Instagram page. And it's pure entertainment. Because she'll have a picture of her posed on a carpet like Marilyn Monroe. Meanwhile, this storyline is broken about widows and orphans, and you've got all these people coming onto her Instagram page going, tone deaf, tone deaf, tone deaf, <laughs> and it's brilliant. And she, and she doesn't seem to have any idea, even when the housewives say, maybe you don't want to post naked, maybe you want to just say you feel bad about the widows and orphans, she doesn't seem to get it. I mean, she basically comes out looking like a monster. So there's that. And then... Um, yeah, so you're watching all of this stuff. They do have restrictions. I think the, the issue with that they can edit it any way you they want, the point is they've still found you saying that so-and-so is a, a cunt. They've still recorded you saying it. You didn't fake saying it. You it's said true. it. So it's you true, but you know, there's, there's real differences uh, in style. You, for instance, let's look at the cooking competitions. Right. In America. Yeah. Um, and you get um, the cook. They're really, 
they're really catty and they really try to make each other look bad and they show each other at their worst moments. Mm-hmm. And then you go over to Britain and you get the great British baking right. show well, right, where everybody is so damn nice. You just want to take them home and make dinner for them, <laughs> you know? And it's like, True. oh yes, I know I'm going to lose, but that's okay because <laughs> my opponents are all so wonderful. And aren't they great bakers? You know, it's just right. such a whole different in attitude. They they all have, the, I'm sure they could take a great British baking show and they could make them all look bad too, just like on the top chef or something, but, uh, but they don't. Right. Well, you know, Top Chef doesn't play up them being super bad like they did the first season or two. Maybe um, it's Master Chef. There's one where they they always they they have the yeah. cooking and then they show them in some room where they're all smoking and and talking about each other. Yeah, right? yeah. We see. I, I don't know. I I usually laugh at that stuff. I don't. I think it's funny. I think that's awesome entertainment as well. For me, that's <laughs> as entertaining as the sweet, nice British baking show. And with the British baking show, um, they're their suffering really is in the fact that, you know, you know what baking's like when you forget to put bananas in the banana bread or when you oh, forget man, to put the I butter. Oh, man, I hate when that happens. And listen, I put too much butter in my scones in um, New York is there, City. No, there's, not, I, there's no such thing as too much butter in your scones. I, don't I know. Think. Apparently, everyone still ate them. But I was yeah. like pretty They probably bummed. all went, oh, I'm so glad you put all that butter in the scones. Aren't they yummy? Uh, no, I, I don't know if they did that, but they ate them. I was super bummed, though, because it's just a question of it's, you know, you, I don't know what it is about baking, but I've cried when I burnt cookies. If there's just something about baking that you've got this window, you think you're paying attention, and then you burn the cookies and boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I don't know why, but you do. And my sister has done it. I, everyone I know, uh, most people who are baking have had these upsets. And so there's a little bit of that. And for some reason, there's something about the British baking show is that they really do have that compassion that they know the other person, how bad they feel when they fuck up. However, in the society here, there's that, the killer instinct is really played out. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that the British baking show, they want to stay on the show. Number one, they want to stay on the show because it's fun. Um, And number two is they do want to win that cake tray. I love it that they win a cake tray. (laughs) I don't know if there's any money involved because they don't tell us. I mean, I know they get paid. They get paid to be on the show, um, but um, certainly winning isn't as big a deal as on. Um, well, you're on talking the American about shows. on 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 the what's the Heidi Klum's new show with Tim Gunn next in fashion or is it oh making the cut? Um, oh oh yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, they yeah, make, yeah. they're winning a million dollars. I mean, it's a million dollars. And then on, you know, on all... I like the guy with the who always has the bow tie and the, the really nice... That's Tim. Suit. Tim Gunn, yeah. yes. Yeah, 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 he's lovely. He yeah, he's got... I like his fashion sense. And yeah. he's really hilarious, too. He is hilarious. I actually don't sweet. mind that. Strangely, I don't mind that show. Oh, no, it's amazing. Well, oh, and now, <laughs> but you put that in, in the same way with the British baking show. Uh, when people have created... I mean, they are making couture, beautiful, beautiful clothes in eight hours, two days something like that. It's really inspiring to see these incredible outfits put together under pressure with a lack of sleep, just like we might do if we were having a show or trying mm-hmm. to get artwork done and juggling our day jobs. Yeah. It's got a very real feeling to it. And yes, they can be catty sometimes, but you know what? I mean, that makes them look bad and it's their fault. They have to live with it. Some of them have come back on the all-stars and said, I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. In Survivor, there's always villains. Well, that what happens in think? pro wrestling too. Sometimes Absolutely. you can be the bad guy and then you can change over yes. from being the bad guy to be a good guy. 
That's yes, happened a lot. We should actually get Dr. K on to tell us some, about some examples of bad guys turn good guys and good guys turn bad guys. Good idea. Redemption stories. Yeah, because that is part of we love redemption. It's such a great because who hasn't made well, you know, I, I did not ask you to make this this segue, Candy Minks. I did not uh-huh. ask for the segue, and you have delivered the segue <laughs> of the podcast. Because yeah. you know what Sheila and I watched the other night? I don't know. Well, hey, want to play Guess the Movie? Redemption. <laughs> it's not redemption. <laughs> well, but you're going to get it. because oh, wait it's, a second. It's, it's the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, Shawshank Redemption. I knew that, too. You already told me you watched it. I That's, yeah, from, from 1994, <laughs> based on the 1982 yes. Stephen King novella. I had never seen it. Oh, wow. That's I awesome. went upstairs with bringing the coffee upstairs the other night, and, and she cool. said... Hey, I'm going to put Shawshank Redemption on. I said, I've never seen that movie. Wow. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was like a war movie. God, I had hey, no I idea. D- well, before we go, I put on DVD player and I had a hell. I had a Eugene experience shopping yesterday. I want, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to be like, I wanted to be catty and, and stab people and verbally <laughs> behind their backs because it was like a nightmare. I was at a big box store. Do I need say what it was? <clears throat> Best Buy. And, um, <laughs> and uh, they were uniformly unhelpful. And I got home with a DVD player that I could not get to play on my TV yesterday. Anyway, I just want to put that out there. I can't wait to go back to Best Buy. I am looking forward to that. Speaking of redemption. <laughs> So as you were, sorry. <laughs> oh, I just hit myself in the head with my mic. Did you see that action? <laughs> yeah, I did see it. We have the, we have the video on for those. Yeah, you know what happened was I I think I stepped on my cord and it, and it pulled the mic and the whole thing <laughs> yeah. hit me in the head. Well, oh, okay. I'm, my I'm goodness. Pouring, yeah, so, so we watched this, watch this movie I had never seen. Oh. Uh, directed by a director I didn't know, Frank Frank Dornabond. I don't know. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's directed The Mist, The Green Mile, The Majestic, The Walking Dead. No movies I've seen, right? All movies with the word the. That's true. The, well, the <laughs> is, I mean, it's, I mean, you could have added it to Shawshank Redemption. It could be the Shawshank. Was it? Maybe it I was. I thought it there. was the Shawshank maybe. Redemption. Okay, yeah, it probably was. Yeah, so okay. um, Tim Robbins as mm-hmm. Andy Dufresne. And mm-hmm. at that time, 1994, Morgan, Morgan Freeman was in every movie made. <laughs> Okay, he wasn't in Pulp Fiction. It was the same year. I get that. He wasn't in... There's a couple other movies he was. I mean, but wasn't he in a lot right. of movies? At, yeah. There was a time in which you couldn't turn on... You couldn't see a movie. You couldn't go to the movies or turn on TV without seeing Morgan Freeman. True. And True. he's always... You know what I like about Morgan Freeman? He's... With, with the exception of the movie Invicta, in which I just couldn't handle him... Uh, <laughs> he has a level of goodness in all his yeah, movies. Yeah, he does. He does. There's, he you really just does. feel... There's something right with the world because Morgan Freeman is in the movie. Well, there's a so, reason he was cast as God. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so he's. The, I mean, and he comes across in this prison environment. So, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a it's a, a prison movie. Yeah. And uh, it's a damn fine prison movie too. It really is. And, and really, the the voice of reason is is this murderer who. Um, who gets stuff, who's able to find anything you might want. Um, uh, Morgan, Morgan Freeman and, uh, and Tim Robbins is the wrongly convicted guy. And you know, the level of cruelty in this movie really surprised mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty gritty. 
It was grittier mm-hmm. than I had I had expected. Mm-hmm. And also I had not expected the plot twist towards the end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I didn't see it come because I don't I didn't know the movie, right? Yeah. I didn't see it coming well, at all. Aren't I, you lucky that you got to have that wonderful surprise? I know I got the experience without without uh, knowing oh. it. And mm-hmm. then I, you know, I, I did a little reading about it. Do you know that that uh that a number of critics talked about this movie in terms of Christian mysticism? Sure. Um, and just here on on wiki, Uh um, under the analysis tab, uh, it says the film has been interpreted as being grounded in Christian mysticism. Andy is offered as a messianic Christ-like figure with red describing him early in the film as having an aura that engulfs and protects him from Shawshank. The scene in which Andy and several inmates tar the prison roof can be seen as a recreation of the Last Supper. I did not see that. With <laughs> Andy obtaining beer slash wine for the 12 inmates' disciples, as Freeman describes them as the lords of all creation, invoking Jesus' blessing. You know, I didn't catch that at all. Mm-hmm. Director Frank Darabon responded that this was not his deliberate intention, but wanted people to find their own meaning in the film. The discovery of the marriage of Figaro record is described in the screenplay as akin to finding the Holy Grail, bringing the prisoners to a halt and causing the sick to rise up in their beds. Fascinating. I didn't see it. Didn't see it coming. I got to admit. And what's also fascinating is is it doesn't matter if the director themselves meant to do it or not. Because of course, that's that's the wonderful thing about consciousness. Yeah, unconsciousness does it. And who knows what I don't know. I, I have not read the short story. Um, so I don't know if, yeah, um, and, and I will admit that I'm not going to read the short story because after many attempts, I have not been able to finish any story written by Stephen King. Right. Well, I, think I find also, his writing to be totally impenetrable, uh-huh. although it seems to translate super well to film, doesn't it? Very well to film. But man, and, I can't um, read the guy's books. Well, because he puts all the details in there so you could really get it. Now I've only read two books of his. Well, it's because they're horrible. He's a bad writer. (laughs) Okay. Now I want to go back to this part where we step back and we be like, we go out on a limb and we wonder, well, then what is it about him? It it's again, that part where the idea of classically trained writing is not needed to be a good storyteller. And I would actually say that Stephen King, when I read the stand, um, because I had said he was a shitty writer. Um, I read it way back. Um, with one of my coworkers at a nightclub, they were so mad at me. They said, well, you have to read the stand and you'll take that back. <laughs> I read you? the stand. I did. It's an oh, incredible okay. book. It's an incredible book where a plague comes to the earth. A plague takes over North America and people die like crazy. And um, the devil is a, 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 comes, comes to life and comes to live. And they go to Las Vegas, Nevada somewhere like that, some desert place. And um, basically you've got the people that want to be good and the people that want to be bad, Um, you know, making bargains left, right and center. And it was an extreme, I think it starts out with a Bob Dylan quote too. And the bad guy is called Captain Trips or yeah, Captain Trip. No, Captain Trip is the disease. That's what they call the plague. They don't call it the coronavirus. They call it Captain Trip. And then they, um, and, and it's Randall Flagg is the bad guy who's like a devil. So, I mean, Stephen King has a lot of mysticism and esotericism and supernatural in his novels. Obviously, I don't like horror. I can't read it. That's yeah, one know, of the you know, other for, reasons. For me, I think he's a guy with all kinds of ideas. Really interesting guy. And when I've heard him interviewed, I heard a long interview with him. I think it might have been Mitch Album. 
uh, interviewing him. Yeah. Anyway, he was fascinating. A really interesting guy. He's an amazing um, guy. I, you know what I think it is? I don't think he's a very good wordsmith. No, he's not a literary type of writer. He's a pulp writer. And it's just different. Um, and he taught, and it's very, very accessible. He can lure you into the story within a first couple of paragraphs. You get hooked Apparently. on an idea. And, um, you know. But not me, because I can't get through his books. Right, but you, you're not a horror fan or a supernatural fan or anything like that. For me, when I found out that he wrote The Shawshank, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool that he had different genres. Uh, because I just thought of him because at that point, I can't read a horror novel. I'm too afraid. It just scares, I could watch a horror movie, but I can't watch, I can't read the novel, just way scarier. So I didn't read Stephen King because of that. Now The Stand is really not, I wouldn't really call it hardcore um, horror. Now, what about The Shining? What about Carrie is one of the greatest stories ever written. And there you have, he found a way to put menstruation into a horror novel, you know, in a way that broke boundaries and- um, and The movies was, are good. Yeah, the movies are amazing. You know, there was um, there was kind of a shout out to uh, to to Stephen King in the Shawshank Redemption, and it's fairly early on mm. when the character of Andy is introduced to Red, and um, Andy says, "Well, why do they call you Red?" And mm. he says something that comes right out of the story, which is, "It must be because I'm Irish," but of course he's Morgan Freeman and he doesn't look Irish. Um, and so I think that they, they did that deliberately to refer back to the, the novella. I think it's it like a shout out to King. Hmm. Now, I also think that you could have, I thought there's, there's Moors and Black people in England and in Ireland. I'm sure there are, Othello, but they, they probably aren't Othello called Othello Red. Black? I but mean, they, yeah, but they, they probably don't call them Red. I think the, no, the reference no, I is, see what you're saying. The, the, the reference is you, you call someone Red because... Well, there's hair. these Irish people with red hair, right? right? But he's okay. So, so the the reference is well, it's because I'm Irish. Well, obviously, it's not because you're Irish. It's because it was in the book, um, and it was written for someone who probably had red hair. Oh, so you're saying that they allowed that to stay into the script, and it became yes. humorous, and it became yes, humorous. Be, okay. yes, it be, it became like a little a little in joke mm -hmm. referring to the uh, to the book, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting that there can't be black people in Ireland. That oh yeah, I just was confused. I I didn't I didn't understand what we're talking about there. So red, yeah, I just it was over my head. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I caught that and I thought, oh, that's adorable. That so I is looked adorable. it up, and in fact, it was it it was in the uh, in, in the book exactly like that. It was or it wasn't. It was. It was. It was. That is very yeah. adorable. Cool. Anyway, we really enjoyed that one. So I'm going to recommend it, if you're looking for 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 like a classic movie to watch for great <laughs> great entertainment, a little bit on the gritty side, um, fantastic plot twists, super writing, great acting, and I mean, who doesn't like a prison film? They're right up there with submarine <laughs> films, really, in yeah. the genre film department. Uh, you well, got, I like prison films. So. I'm terrified of them, but I do watch them and I love yeah. them. I watched all of Oz. It was a great series. Um, and I'm pretty sure everyone's seen Shawshank Redemption. Sorry. <laughs> everyone but me? Yes. Sheila? Yes. How did we miss yes. them? I guess it came out when you're busy working or something. There are gaps. There are gaps, I will there say. There are gaps. I do think it's from your schedules. You know? It may. You well, well you know, I, at one point, I had a, for a number of years in the late 80s, early 90s, I had a, a television set. Um <laughs> 
and in in my studio, but I didn't have any way of getting any reception. So I would right. get like one channel or sometimes two channels. So yeah, Canon, Manix. Yeah, for a number amazing. of years, I really didn't watch any TV. Right. So people would talk to me about, you know, did you see the latest Seinfeld? And right. I, I go, what what is this Seinfeld? Yeah, and no, I had no idea until after it was all over, and then well, I had cable, and it's like. Oh, no wonder people were watching this. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, it's very good. In fact, I've been thinking about Seinfeld a lot because I'm watching a TV show that I had no idea when I first started watching it, that it was not only a comedy, but it reminded me exactly of Seinfeld. And it's called Succession. Oh, yes. Did you see the last episode on Sunday? Nope. Nope. I have not seen the last episode, but I'm deep Sheila in was it. very disappointed in the last episode, oh. but I wasn't. I thought it was quite good. Oh, well, I'm... I, but don't you think it's weird that I didn't realize it was a comedy? The first episode, oh, I had hilarious. no idea it was a comedy. Yeah, I had no idea it was a comedy. And I also think that I thought because you recommended it that it was a drama. Well, it, it is a comedy drama. I mean, there's the whole drama part of it, which I, I guess think... so, but I don't take it seriously at all because of the comedy. I don't have any bad feelings about it. When he starts doing drugs, I don't care because it's funny. Interesting. Because the well, punchlines are there. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's, they have the punchlines in to, to add some lightness to, to the show, I think. As is like the whole the clown character, the character of Greg, who my prediction is when all is said and done, the CEO of the company is going to be Greg. You heard that prediction here first. All right. Greg is going to win. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, because who else is going to win? The, yeah. the rest of them are a bunch of losers. Well, they, you know what? It's funny you should say that because there's an odd feeling watching Succession where as much as I hate the father, I kind of relate to him. Like, at least he's not an idiot, but he is a, he is an idiot, but at least he's Well, like, he's a horrible person, he's but a he's horrible a horrible person. person with remarkable instinct for the upper echelon of the business world. Correct. And he's almost... Um, his intuition is so powerful. You can't see why he knows things. He knows things and you're not sure why he knows that. There's so many things that have happened where people were about to stab him in the back and he's already, even if it's um, acting dumb or acting ill or pretending or he looks scattered, he is not scattered. You've made a mistake if you think that he isn't a powerful force to be reckoned with. Oh, so how far God. have you got in the show? I don't know. Halfway, more than halfway. Are you in the third season yet? I didn't. I don't remember. I just okay. have it on pow. I, you know, I'm watching it. I can't fall asleep at night. If I start watching it, I won't fall asleep because it is pretty um, demanding. I mean, it, it compels you to keep watching it because um, it, it really is like Seinfeld. I mean, I am laughing out loud. Um, these guys are just all terrible, terrible people. And I <laughs> they don't are. Care. And I don't care what happens to them. I actually, good, <laughs> go ahead. I mean, I don't I know why go they Greg, don't go notice Greg. it. I don't know why they don't notice it. You know what I mean? Yeah, really. I think Greg and Tom are the, the stars of, uh, the real stars of Succession. Well, uh, I could say, I, my money might be like on They're like the Shakespearean characters who offer insight by their, their clownishness. Yes, I would say Tom also has an, a, a potential to take over the business. Yes, he could. Because yeah. he would be the he would be the kind of horrible person you would expect exactly to take over that, that sort of business. And he really doesn't appear that horrible. How long did you watch the show before you realized he was from MI? 
Oh, we knew Tom was from MI5 instantly. Oh, you did. Oh, you oh did. yes. Okay. But right. the other character of Sandy, it didn't occur to me until a couple of episodes oh, yeah. ago that yeah. she was in it. And I thought, oh, I know. She was the <laughs> CIA agent at MI5. I wonder I, if, yeah, I wonder. It's funny that they're both involved in it, but because the shows get popular, they can get hired in the States, I guess. Yeah. Pretty funny. I think it's very funny. And the fact that they kept Tom's name as Tom. Yeah, that was so, funny so too. You, like, let's just take a sledgehammer and whack you over the head with that reference in case you missed it. Well, and not only that, that this is an espionage show. I mean, that's why it's compelling because it is, it's corporate espionage, basically. Well, it and, is. And, it, and we like, we like to laugh at the fact that these super wealthy cutthroat business people are all horrible business people. It's, yeah. it's sort of, it's, you know, in a way, it's kind of like selling Sunset that way. No shit. <laughs> I'm glad it came out of your mouth, not mine. You know what? I think we've actually come together in this episode and had a communication. <laughs> well, I haven't watched that yet. Um, what's it called? Get back the Beatles. Oh yeah, Us. this yeah. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna watch that. I, I I'm mean, gonna wait for like the like the highlight reel. That's a good idea, right? That's because idea. there's like eight hours of it, and apparently you could. There's also like a 16 hour version of it. Well, it's Peter Jackson. I watched and all of. I watched all the DVD extras of Lord of the Rings one weekend, oh, like for no. five days. Oh god, it was amazing. And you survived. Oh, it's fucking awesome. All the way they the set design, the way they filmed it, it was amazing. It was incredible. Who was it who said who called it Board of the Rings? Was that Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I, I know had, it was Scott who referred to Les Miserables as Trey Miserables. Trey Miserables. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All I know is that when I watched Lord of the Rings, I didn't feel sad. I was like, oh, that's great. I love it that they're traveling. And somebody had to say, Candy, they weren't traveling. That wasn't really a real ship. They died. I and then I was crying and crying. <laughs> I didn't know they all died at the end. What a what a horrible story. Horrible. No, I love Lord of the Rings. I didn't read it though. I, could, I couldn't read it. It was too confusing for me. Uh, my dyslexia goes yeah. into overdrive. I, I, when I, I believe that, that. I, I got through the uh, the the Hobbit, mm-hmm. uh, and I started into into Lord of the Rings, and I got a short way through it, and I just thought there's so many things I could be doing with my life that isn't this. <laughs> well, I I wanted to read it. My sister has read it a couple of times, and she read it to her boys. I think she read it to them as a bedtime story. And she loves it. And it's not, I knew I would love it, but I just couldn't, honestly, it literally would trigger my dyslexia because of the, the, um, I don't know what it is, the convoluted story. And yet now I can read the, um, I can read Chaucer now. So I probably could read Lord of the Rings now. Well, there you go. <laughs> I can read Chaucer. I just can't understand him. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh my God. So before I got on the phone with you, um, or on the podcast with you this morning, I've been doing a little research because um, as you know, the pop culture convention set in New Mexico this year in February, I'm going to be on a panel. Well, and one of our guests, George, George Sieg, who we had on here um, uh, regarding esotericism, he talked to us about esotericism. Well, he he's actually got me on another, he's got me on a panel about the matrix. And now it looks like I might be on a panel about art and how art history ignores spirituality. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a great topic. Interesting. Yeah. And the, uh, a woman had written a little, um, she sent him and uh, a precess of her idea for a panel. It's not going to be a paper. It's going to be a discussion group, right? Anyway, I got pretty excited about it. I started thinking about 
Rothko and Madame Blavatsky and, you know, so many people in the, well, you can go right from the romantists. Obviously, they're the easiest ones to see because they um, went out into the wild and did sublime paintings, right? Um, of nature taking over where human scale was so much smaller and they're considered pretty spiritual. Um, but I always think of the Impressionists were really very spiritual in the way that they had honed in on, probably from Madame Blavatsky actually, who was a spiritualist and a science person and a poet. I think she did drawings, but she did a thing. She kind of created a religion they didn't call it religion, a philosophy called theosophy. I don't know a lot about it. I know about her as the, in, in an era, but um, a lot of artists were inspired by her. Um, not Kandinsky, but Amandrian. And who's the other guy that, it starts with a K, I can't remember his name right now. I've gone completely blank. But there's a number of artists who were really inspired by her and their work is really, really cool. But it's also the part that makes them super weird. You know, it's um, funny you say it starts with a K, but I want to say Melovich. Oh, it is Melovich. How sorry. is it that I knew that starts with a K oh, meant Melovich? I don't know. I guess because of the era. Do I get points for that? You get major points for that. I'm going to laugh if we can you know, uh, five. You know, Sheila uh, has dyslexia as well. Yeah. And um, <laughs> often she'll say one thing and I'll yeah. know because I oh. mean we've we've been together for so long right. we, we know each other really really well and I'll know what she means yes, even though yes. she'll say something that it doesn't make sense in that context I'll know what she really means yeah, and I'll say to, oh you mean this she'll, yes that's what I mean that I'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes I do fuck up my words and it is from dyslexia because I see them in my head and then I mix it up and I'm yeah. all, and lot, lots of people something. have that. It's, it's a, yeah. it's a curious thing. It is a curious thing. And it's almost like you can't go as fast as your mind is going or something. Your mouth can't go as fast as your mind is going. I think that's part of it. So it just comes blurting out, <laughs> which can be very interesting, you know, for poetry, I suppose. <laughs> We've been watching another TV show mm. that, uh, that Sheila found. Sheila is the finder of all TV shows. I have no patience for like Netflix menus, for instance. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway, she came up with this show called Blind Spot. It ran yeah. for five years. It started in 2015. I mean, it's bad. Okay. Oh, it's, okay. It's bad, but it's very enjoyable in a bad sort of way. It's, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of collages with this on because it only takes a small amount of your attention to <laughs> to see what's going on so it was created by i think martin martin geo i think um starring uh julian stapleton and jamie alexander um and the premise is a mysterious tattooed woman is found naked of course in a travel bag in times square by the fbi and she doesn't know anything about herself. She's got amnesia. She doesn't know where she came from. Mm. Doesn't know anything. But of course, um, she has all these tattoos. Her body is covered in tattoos. Oh, Not just regular I do tattoos. Oh, I but remember also, this. Also, right. infrared tattoos. Yes. There's every level of sophisticated oh, right. tattoo-dom. And it turns out each of the tattoos conveniently provides clues for the FBI to solve crimes. Correct. Right. And so every I episode, didn't watch it, but I remember the premise every episode now. is based on some one of her tattoos. And of course, she has 
these flashes of memory and she's discovering that she had had her own memory erased as part of a plan. Okay, well, and she's also, also classically gorgeous, which is perfect. He, well, for yes, she's, she's absolutely gorgeous. Characters. Plus, yes. plus, she's good at fighting. Yeah, like she knows kung fu. Right, and, and <laughs> she's she's a crack shot with every kind of weapon. I love and it. it she had like one of the tattoos is a Navy Seal tattoo, so they think that it's a Navy Seal. But one of the characters says, "Oh yeah, but there's no women in the Navy Seals." Um, well, they didn't and, see uh, G.I. And of course, Jane, another character says, well, they wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so she's a top secret well, that, Navy both, SEAL. Both of those things are true. <laughs> right. So, you know, and the way all these characters deal with their jobs is gunfire breaks out uh, and martial arts break out. There's lots of action. And of course, the uh, FBI male protagonist falls in love with the um, the Jane Doe character that they just called Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just say this. I mean, it is trash TV. <laughs> it is totally formulaic. But I always have to compare it to my signpost in trash TV is SVU. <laughs> is it better than SVU? I'll watch it. Uh, and this one, it's way better than SVU. So I'm going right. to give it, I find it quite watchable. Like you actually see dialogue where you'll have two characters on screen at the same time <laughs> having dialogue. Whereas if you tune into SVU or Which another example would be Castle or Blue Bloods. Oh my God, I love Castle. They have a, they have a style watch Blue in which in which the dialogue is they show the close up of one character who says a line <laughs> yes. and then they move over to Ice-T and he says a line and then they yes. move over to Mariska and she says her line right and they don't let the other characters interfere with their line right and that so- is because they are worshiping the face and we are following the intense red flag topics spoken about that are very emotional and we're focused on the face so we can absorb this trauma. And oh, yes, it, but it's, it's so healing. badly done. It's oh, I, I understand. But, but, but what, it doesn't what makes, matter. What makes, for instance, what makes <laughs> Castle compelling? I love I, Castle. I mean, I can watch Castle. And as I watch it, I think, this is the worst TV show I've ever seen. And I don't turn it off. <laughs> Why don't I turn it off, TV. Candy Minks? <laughs> well, first of all, I love Castle. Watched it religiously when it was came out at live. It has the cheesiest of formats, too. But it's wonderful. It's absolutely, it's the chemistry between the two main characters. Right. And he, Nathan Fillion, is just fantastic. The camera loves him. He's funny as fuck. He's, he's just compelling. She's good, too. I mean, it's a wonder. Aren't they both Canadian? Anyway, uh, Castle is fantastic. You should never feel guilty about watching Castle. <laughs> yeah, and he's a mystery writer. What's better? Of course he is. He's the mystery writer who solves crimes. Do you think do you think maybe um that's been done before? Yes, I'm I thinking, do. I'm murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. My mother's favorite show. <laughs> because in in Hollywood, why come up with something new when you can take a successful formula someone's already used and redo it? Right, and I to, would to get, say to get the humans same, use don't the same have juice. new humans don't have new ideas. They keep visiting the well, classic of course we, and yes, over we and over and over again. Stories, but I mean, sometimes we <laughs> really, really, really recycle those stories. Right. Well, I have never watched a whole episode of Murder She Wrote, but um, I'm pretty but sure. But you don't can. need to. 
because well, I watch Castle. <laughs> because well, well, within ten minutes, you know everything that's going to happen anyway. It's oh, just I, like you know at which just before and after which commercial break in SVU, th- what's going to happen. Because they have the same formula applied. You don't want to go off the formula because the formula is proven success. So you stick with that formula, regardless of how silly it looks. Just, you know, (laughs) armed with the knowledge that the formula is going to sell. And I think something else is happening. I think it's very comforting on a very terrible topic. It's comforting to know that it's predictable. We're going to get through this. And we're talking about something absolutely horrible. And somehow we can watch it with the way that they film it and watching the detectives' faces and the, you know, the main characters. You're right. It's very limited and it is formulaic, but that is part of the um, enjoyment of the show. That's why people go back. For our listeners, is what is your favorite bad television (laughs) i mean what's your what what is the show that you don't it's so bad that you don't even tell people you watch but you watch it anyway and you you know you enjoy it (laughs) you know like i'm gonna admit when sheila was watching that that jeff lewis show what's that yeah flipping out flipping out i mean i i mocked it i mocked it and mocked it but I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. So that's, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't help myself. I, I, uh, I thought, oh, God, he's going for Botox again. Hey, but I'd watch it, right? Remember, watching bad people doesn't make you bad. <laughs> I feel better now. It's art. It's there to um, have catharsis. It's there to travel somewhere where you don't. We're not selling real estate in L.A., and yet they have similar problems to people who live in, except for the, you know, opiate addiction, but they probably have that too. Um, they have similar problems to people all across America and the world because we all have, we all wish we had a family. In Flipping Out, he recreates his family. He is acting, part of his problem is that he hasn't healed his childhood wounds, so he acts them mm-hmm. out on the show. He hasn't gone beyond them. And that's the same as the status battles in Selling Sunset, is that the women haven't solved, they haven't healed their childhood wounds. So they're playing them out in the show with each other. And they think if they act out and get what they want in an adult relationship, it fixes their childhood. It does not. You have to fix your feelings of your childhood to have healthy relationships as an adult. And which brings me to Christine. Uh, Christine is the villain in Selling Sunset. Yes, she is. And she's a hell of a villain. She is so good. She shows up at a party she's specifically not been invited to. Who does that? That is true. She, she knows does. she's not supposed to be there. Yeah. But she goes there to raise shit. Right. Who does and that? I don't know, but she might be one of the greatest actors I've ever seen in my life because I think she knows exactly what she's doing. And I also noticed on, on social media that um, people think she's faked her pregnancy. And it's quite an outrageous, um, I don't know what's going on there, but there's so much body um, image on the show that she has a baby and two weeks later comes on to visit everybody and all they do is stare at her stomach and the camera goes on her stomach, they look at her stomach, they roll their eyes. (laughs) And so I don't know if someone on the show has suggested that she faked her pregnancy. I think what may have happened is she may have had the baby about two months before they filmed. Yet the baby looks very young. It's like this mysterious thing. Did she have a surrogate? 
Did she put on a baby bump? Was that her real body? I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't have ever, it didn't occur to me at all that she was faking it. I was fascinated by her being pregnant because I was like, I can't believe that she's actually pregnant and she would agree to be pregnant when you've got all this money that you can have options or give birth. Um, I don't completely hate her. She definitely makes the show worth watching. And I think that she does play up her, she's very, very funny. She, her, she's, plays a bitch very, very well. And I find her completely um, compelling to watch. I, I don't know, she's like seven feet tall and she's gorgeous and they all are. It, how can you, you can't look away. And then, the, and then the real estate porn. I mean, it's one insane house after another with six bathrooms, a pool, a jacuzzi on the hills of Los Angeles. You can't look away. You know what? What? I've yet to see a house on that show that I would want to live in. Right. Well, that isn't not... to say that that there aren't houses that are big and spectacular and glitzy right. and everything, but I've yet to see a house that I want to live in. And you know what I think it is? <laughs> I I think I've had a, a great advantage of having lived in, lived in very small places, mm -hmm. and. Um, one of the things that you discover is that there's a tremendous comfort in living in, in cozy places. And there's a coldness about the, the, the hugeness of some of these places. Right. And I just think, you know, in, in my neighborhood, they tear down small bungalows and they put up these giant McMansions. Right. right. And when they put them up and, you know, I just think, who's going to clean it? <laughs> well, really? I, I mean, there's just all these the rooms. Who is, is going to? I guess yeah, I the housekeeper, you, you get to clean it because if you I can afford so. the house, you can afford the housekeeper. I, I guess. can barely clean my own place, and it's yeah, not there, that there's big. some of these places. You know, they'll have a front door that's 11 feet tall. <laughs> I know, right? Which is maybe okay in Hollywood, right? Because right. the weather's nice all the time. Yeah. But in Canada, you do one of these because you saw it on Selling Sunset, and you go and you open your door in mid-February, <laughs> and winter comes in. Through right, this 11 that, foot tall front door, man, you need three people idea. to shut the door again. <laughs> that's not a good idea in Canada. You're right. Um, I would live in one of those houses in a heartbeat. Would you really? In a minute. Oh my really? God, they're freaking yeah, amazing. Not me. But I would have them all. Um, I'd put some fucking artwork in there, for God's sakes. I mean, they empty them out. I'm sure people well, are. You know, that I believe in putting artwork <laughs> up on the walls. Um, and Candy's I, been here and she knows there is yeah. not wall space in our house that isn't covered with, there, with uh, artwork. Same here. We've got it everywhere. In fact, I was thinking of adding some new paintings to it. Um, when we take them down from the bar, I might put up a couple of new paintings. I don't, I don't. I like some kind of space between my artwork, but I'm thinking about cramming some in. Um, I probably have more art on the walls than most people would put on, but not as much as you. <laughs> Yours is like definitely a museum and it's we, amazing. We didn't really mean it to be like that. Right. I don't know what happened. You know, <laughs> we came from good families and everything. We went wrong along the way. Well, um, yeah, but in, I love those houses. Oh my God, I would love to live with a swimming pool and a jacuzzi. And, and I love mid-century mid design. And the new houses are even trying to emulate that kind of cutting edge new mid-century. But I would prefer one probably a little smaller. Um, I'd have to have everybody come in and stay with me. It's too big. Um, yeah, I mean, six bedrooms, 15, six bathrooms, never mind six bedrooms. That's 
two bathrooms would be nice. Stay and I get in each other's way. So it would be nice well, to have a couple bathrooms of bathrooms. Two bathrooms is always a treat. Yeah. <laughs> but you get a, you work a schedule. Yeah. But it's you know, really like, about fantasy, isn't it? I mean, these are fantastic settings. They're not, no one's only, do you think Hollywood is watching this show? No. It's us who don't have that. We're watching something we don't have, you know, and watching it in an environment that we don't, we're not involved in. Wondering... Sheila screamed out the other day. She was watching <laughs> Selling Sunset. Yeah. And um, the guy from uh, Shang-Chi turned yes. up as one of the customers yes, buying, a, buying a house. Yes, he did. So, um, so Sheila screamed out, it's Simu. Yeah. Yeah. He was very sweet on the show. It was amazing. Now, Chris... Sure. I wonder oh. if that's like if that's what you is one of the ways you publicize yourself in Hollywood is you get on these shows. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I I, I suppose there's okay. So Did he actually you buy or, it? or was he just a guest who was looking and never bought? Well, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, or maybe they won't show us. Maybe they agree to one episode, but they don't want anyone to see their house because you know there's a lot of security issues. That's the only thing I see in those houses, is like there's if you've got that, I'd be afraid of being kidnapped if I lived there because it's just, you know, you're so rich. Why wouldn't somebody come and rob you? Um, well, but, you yes, know, Chris Shell, you know, she's on my, the show. My father used to say, son, don't steal, okay? It's right. really bad. But if if you have to steal, <laughs> just remember that Robin Hood was right. There's no yeah. point robbing the poor. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's true. Um, well, Chris one of the people on the show, this is a funny thing. Like her name, um, her name is from a guy that worked at a service station that helped develop to deliver her. She was born at a Shell station, so her mother called her Chris Shell. Is that oh funny? Oh my God, that's hilarious! Chris was the attendant at the service station, and he delivered the baby at her, and then her mom named her after those two things. And which is really funny because I'm writing about Shell movie logo. I'm not movie logo. I'm writing about the Shell service station in in my paper. A little bit of its history uh for um my presentation in february um and now it's come out that she's dating one of the twins there's two twins that are, okay so selling sunset is a real estate show and they have a company called the oppenheim group these guys came from the stern group their great-grandfather was a real estate magnet they didn't just oh, okay. come out of nowhere um their grandfather had a business called stern and they both went to law school they were both lawyers. They were practicing lawyers for a long time, and then got the into guy who runs estate. the joint now is the two a... guys. There's twins. There's oh, there's is there? I didn't realize yeah. there was even two of them. No, there's twins. All I know is there's twins. the one guy with the bald head who's like they, half the height of, them. of all the women. <laughs> I know all I the women it. are really these tall, lanky blondes, and he's like like four foot nine. Yeah, well, this is one of the shows where they really do. Um, I think in this reality show, I think some of the women do. They're not entirely who they are they are sort of who they are but i think they do play it up i think they all took acting lessons they've all been through modeling there and and what happened was it turned out that they could do real estate and um their beautiful looks and and manicured selves really help sell houses the clothing the other thing is the clothing is insane it's um forget about anybody you know i know there's people out there that say oh you should dress age appropriately these women do not so-called age appropriately they just dress however they want and they're like um you know sexy barbies they're crazy <laughs> looking they're like fembots <laughs> they're like robotic gorgeous fantastic women and they they also are easy on the eyes and, and they make the show really interesting 
But um, Chris is that the, is that the title the of this podcast? Fembots and sexy Barbies? No. Okay. <laughs> You're going to have to come up with a title then. I will come up with a title. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, so she's dating one of those twins. So there's two guys in the show. That's so funny that you didn't realize there was two guys. No, I, I thought there was just this one little pipsqueak nope, guy. Nope, they're both. The joint. They're both. They're identical twins. Oh really? I had yes. no idea. I, and I, if you I, don't, obviously, I'm like a walk-in. I I'll I, watch I think, it for 20 minutes and right. then leave. I can't tell which is which at all. Um, one of them talks and one of them doesn't. So now I've started to realize. Oh, I think that Jason and now Jason is dating uh, Chriselle. So oh, that's called well, job that's security. That's not going to work out. Well, job security. <laughs> I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. I could see that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it could be, right? I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, I thought we didn't have much content this week. I know. But well, we heck, we're just getting started, Candy. I know. I've got a many other things. I didn't even look at my notes. Oh, my God. I have notes like galore. You have notes? Yeah. Because, well, oh. Well, if you have something else, like, let's get it out. Let's get, I do have up, one other thing. I had notes about, um, I had notes about um, sun, uh, selling Sunset. One of them was that a buyer comes on and is looking at this amazing house, and she asks what he does. And he says he's a pistachio farm farmer. Oh, do you love pistachios? No, uh, the money. And <laughs> I think that really sums up a lot because here you love pistachio. I, I don't want to buy pistachios ever again now. Because I just couldn't stand it that he didn't love pistachios and care about making them organic and, and taking care of them. He just cares that they're a, a great market. Um, so that's you know, really... You know, the, um, nor most of the pistachios we, that we get come from California. Here. Well, he's farming them. And, yeah. Um, and I find those pistachios are very frustrating because probably about one out of every 10 pistachios um, is fused shut. It, it isn't split yes. open and you yes. can't get it open. No. And, you know, there's nothing you could do to, to, nope. to you throw them to, out. Throw I them mean, out. It's, it's terrible. But <laughs> Sheila was at some, it was like a fake bulk barn store she found uh -huh. somewhere. And she was in there and she saw these pistachios that were really huge pistachios. Mm. And she was talking to the guy about it. And he, he said that he brings them in special and people come from all over the city to his place, which is, wow. it, it's in, um, it's in a little mall called Cloverdale out here. Mm -hmm. And um, he brings them in They're Iranian pistachios. They're not California pistachios. And they're about double the size of the California pistachios. And almost every one of them is split open and they have just a hint the slightest hint of rosemary in them. And I tell you, they're so addictive. We wow. have to be careful we don't buy too many because we'll just, you know, we'll get fat on pistachios because they're a pretty oh, high cal kind of uh, nut. Right. Although healthy, nuts are healthy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love pistachios so much, but this guy really put me off of them. <laughs> sure. So what else? Is there um, anything else? The other thing, right. the other thing. Candy's that, notes. Um, and, Chriselle said, the one that was, she's born in a gas station, a shell gas station. And the thing with this shell station is the scallop shell was not the original design of the logo. I just want to mention this. I might've mentioned it before, but the person who just moved it from a mollusk to a shell um, had gone on the, um, the pilgrimage between Spain and France that I've mentioned. I was one of my, you know, I'd love to do that pilgrimage, even just, just to drink the wine <laughs> and you hike, and you go to, you hike from, 
one country into another to the ocean. And at the end of the ocean is Jesus's brother's grave. So it's the spiritual thing. And what they do is they give you a seashell and that's, that's like icon. going to, that's kind of like, like walking across Memphis to go to Graceland to see Absolutely. Elvis's brother's grave. Sure. Um, which I cried at when I saw Aaron Presley because Elvis lived for two kids because his twin brother died. So he lived the life of two people really. Um, and I think he had that kind of uh, survivor guilt um, on him to, you know, be a better, a bigger son for his mother than two boys would have been. And um, so the, the shell is, a, a, is an emblem for this pilgrimage and it symbolizes all the ways to get to one spot. You know how the scallop shell has fanned out ridges? Yes. Yeah, and those symbolize going, everyone's going on their own path to the same spot. So that had changed in the 30s, I think, or the 20s, the guy had changed the mollusk symbol to the shell symbol, which is amazing because you're on a pilgrimage, it, it links up to travel. The shell has this quiet, secret history of being a travel motif. Anyway, so Chrishell <laughs> says at some point in the um, TV show, she says, I'm the kind of person that I wished I could be. She's so proud of the fact that she has made it to what she envisioned as a little girl to become. And I think that also is a really funny thing. And maybe that's also why, because they've wanted to become this one a vision of themselves that maybe didn't incorporate um, you know, it's only through the capitalist system and that system doesn't provide the kind of uh, compassion and morality we would like. Um, although Chriselle seems nice enough. I don't know. Hey, Candy, it looks like yeah. game four is a draw. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. There you go. <laughs> you know, there's another pilgrimage um, that's in the Azores. It's a similar kind of thing where you walk mm. all day and you stop at a village and the villagers put up the, the pilgrims. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. that's what this, I can never say it, Campus Santiago Compostito de Santiago. I'm murdering it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, yeah whatever. But yes, so and the, the people along the way, you can stay in a right. pension. Yeah. So it's on and they feed you and you pay for it. And yeah, okay. there's a, there's a similar one in, in the Azores, um, which I understand is drop dead gorgeous. Oh yeah. Uh, that. Cause it's, I mean, it's one of those beautiful places in the world. Mm. And mm. Uh, our, our friend Frank has done that, that, uh, that, that pilgrimage. Wow. That's really super cool. Yeah. I, I don't think that my, my feet could handle it. Well, you know what's called the one? Oh, yeah. Well, I think you stop a lot. You don't have to do the whole thing. Uh, Trisha, a friend of the podcast, my friend Trisha has done part of it in, in the France-Spain part. She just did it for but, a few days. But you know, you know me, Candy. You know I couldn't do part of it. If I was going to do it, I, I would do it. I would kill my feet. I would destroy <laughs> my feet. And I would be crawling on my knees to get to the finish of this well, thing. I love that. Because it's just, I can't. I don't have the ability to go into things part way. Yeah, I know. I wish I did. I wish I could be a dabbler. But right. unfortunately, um, once I jump down the rabbit hole, I'm, I'm in. Well, you know what? The good news is there's a movie that you could watch that has this pilgrimage in it. And Emilio Estevez made it. And um, he directed it and he, you know. Whatever happened his, to him? He's a filmmaker. I think he's directed TV shows and stuff. I think he moved into the directing end of things. The way it came out probably about 
I don't know, in the last 10 years. And it's an incredible movie starring Martin Sheen. It's just a good feel good movie. I highly recommend it. And they do this pilgrimage. And um, it's a very, it's a quiet film, but it's so good. And it's called The Way, which is short for the Milky Way, that pilgrimage. And it's called the Milky Way because it's following the Milky Way path. Uh And that guides your way on the pilgrimage. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm just looking. I think that's got, um, you know, what's interesting about the twins on Sunset, um, Selling Sunset? It's I'm still blown away that there's twins. I know. They don't choose one over the other. They don't choose the women one over the other. Uh, somehow they do. They know the girls hate each other. They know they get into cat fights, but they still bring them all back, which is also good drama. Well, but, plus, they're all selling a lot of real estate and yes. they're, they're getting so, filthy, filthy rich. And which they is, want to be filthy rich which is a very interesting thing I wanted to point out. Is it in a weird, sick way, the fact that they want to be filthy rich and they are the owners of this company, they all need to find a way to maneuver each other and actually be compassionate and forgiving and friendly. So it's a weird way because they have to make a living together that as much as I'm anti-capitalist, there is something funny about these brothers. They have to be more um, forgiving and give people a second chance because they really like their sales ability of these houses. (laughs) So it's just a weird part of, uh, you know, capitalism isn't all bad. And um, and it brings back something that I wanted to kind of full circle. Sorry, did you say capitalism isn't all bad? Well, it is all bad for, it is all bad, but there are, this is funny that something that this enforced part where they want, it's almost like how come, you know, corporations now want people to study mindfulness, but not because they they care about mindfulness because you have better productivity. It's been proven that you're um, a better worker if you meditate and you practice mindfulness. And in the same way that these guys, they want to enforce um, everyone get along, not because they are altruistic or loving, but because they want to get results results yeah of course so it's just kind of weird um you know again capitalism corrupts relationships and um as robin wood said and um we're going out on a limb today to try and look at what's the value of these crazy reality shows and uh i think we did a good job all right i'm gonna pat well, you been, i'm gonna pat fun. you and i on the back okay yeah Excellent. Well, this has been a fun, uh, a fun <laughs> podcast, Candy. It has. Oh, I know what I, I don't know if I want to call this episode Out on a Limb or Optical Democracy. Optical Democracy is a, uh, a term coined in Blood Meridian. And it, it, it's, um, it's one of the reasons why you might want to say the novel is um, postmodern because it's self-referential. It, it gives us a term to call Blood Meridian to describe the way he writes but that isn't Cormac McCarthy's discovery. It's really Van Gogh and the Impressionists. They were the um, high priests of um, optical democracy where they painted every frame of everything they saw with the same energy. They didn't give one piece of the painting more power than the other. Whereas classical painting, you know, had the distance, The they were concerned with the math of it being, um, trying to make it 3D and realistic. And they might. Well, the impressionists were also very concerned with light. And you might argue spirituality through light. I don't know. Um, I know certainly today um, people 
most people who look at impressionist works don't look at them as being spiritual. They look at them as being decorative. It's one of the reasons why they're very oh, popular I know. because they're, they're pretty and colorful. It's it's mad making. We were talking about this last night when Stay got home from work. It, they used to hate impressionist paintings when they first came out. Of course, but now they were, they everyone were thinks it's pretty. Yeah, everyone thinks they're pretty, and yet you don't see that optical democracy in them, and the fact that part of being mindful. Well, part of it is because the with with painting uh, historically, it seems that um, the general public is. It's about 120 years behind where the painters were. Like it takes a while to catch up and make that work acceptable as Absolutely. opposed to radical. Absolutely. Whereas in to... its time, it's radical. But yeah. it takes a lot of time to temper the radicalism um, and find ways to um, ignore that and just right. look at the decorative qualities yes. of it. Yes. And that's funny. Boy, too, that's because... cynical, isn't it? Um, no, I don't think it's cynical. I think that's exactly it. Well, I, I posted on Facebook yesterday on our Facebook page a quote by Zizek because he says art is for the future and philosophy is for the rotting present from the dead past. And so art is for the future. It gets better with time. It improves because we are able to almost be exposed to it longer and we drop our judgments of it. And I think that's what we're sort of talking about. Which, is that when which you watch, isn't such a good thing if you're an artist. Because, no, it's not good for your because, paycheck. Because you know, that's, <laughs> that's why people joke about how people's work gets popular once you're dead. You right. know. Right. It is how that is. And that's why you have to do it. It's a labor of love and you can't care about it. But that optical democracy occurs over time for people, you know, mindfulness, what it gives you is a way of looking at the world without judging one thing over another, which is what, you know, I said, let's try and look at selling sunset like that. Let's look at the chess championship without bringing judgment to them. Look at them as equals. Look at a, a baseball game as the same as Survivor. Um, you know, it's not easy to do it, but it's part of mindful practice, which is sort of what anthropologists try to do. Um, and you do, you study a practice to try to remove your own self from judging a, um, a content based on, on, on what I might call, um, social constructed ideas rather than democracy, optical democracy, uh, not judging one thing at value more than the other. And to um, our listeners, if you would like to judge us, <laughs> you can uh, send us an email at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We love your emails. That's right. And thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.